This episode was recorded on January 31st, 2021. Our topic for today, Square and Cash App. All right, Johnny, let's first start with the news of the week. So, quick we follow-up. Yes. Yeah, we have, uh, we have a few follow-ups. So, one, Johnny... My whiskey bet is still safe because I said no American tech giants will face monopoly consequences. You sure you're not just changing it in? in um, no, no, no. no. We, people can go to the recording. My whiskey bet is safe. American. I specifically said American. What Michael is, is referring to is, mm-hmm. is earlier this week, it came out that Ant Group has submitted a plan to restructure itself as a financial holding company, which the China, uh, and it would be overseen by the China. By China's central bank and would face uh, obviously stricter regulations. Mm-hmm. And these uh, restructuring were, of course, ordered by the Chinese regulators yep. to give them oversight of all of Ant Group's activities. I think so, before that, it was one of its subsidiaries. I think the lending subsidiary was going to become a financial holding company, but it's, yep. now it looks like it's going to be the entire company. Yes. So to uh, to quote uh, to quote Dwayne Johnson, they're not being the, broken uh, up. Yeah. 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 To quote Dwayne Johnson in the in the early or late '90s, uh, he told the Chinese government told ants to know their role and shut their mouth. Right. right. <laughs> but anyways, all right, John. Let's talk about the big news that's been big in news. the news for the past <laughs> month. Uh, so, Johnny, I'm going to start this off with saying you like video games, right? And I like Reddit. And movies? <laughs> and we both established that uh, neither of us really liked Reddit that much, though we definitely go on it and, and read it. Well, yeah. It, it is a great source of, uh, of perspective. Yeah. And remember way. when I was talking to you about like long-term investments and uh-huh. how you should find companies with, with good fundamentals <laughs> and, and invest and hold? Uh, well, that... That, that is uh, even more important because if you pay attention to the day-to-day of the stock market, you'll find that stocks are crazy and that people have no seemingly logic whatsoever. So the story that we are covering that's been brewing for quite a bit but has reached nearly a fever pitch is, of course, GameStop's stocks. Meme stocks, as uh, what's it called? As Johnny has put it down in our notes. Most people, when they purchase stocks, they just purchased a single stock they hold or they sell. Uh, There's something also called the options market. And that's that's the crux of, you know, defecting values and Michael Burry's uh, um, investments in it, right? So they were betting not only that GameStop would go up, because again, the market was undervaluing it, but that also it was going to squeeze these short sellers that there was massive interest in, right? So this was obviously an early bet. It took well over a year to play out. And every month on the subreddit Wall Street Bets, he would post his yellow updates, right? Saying, hey, here's his position. And every time he was doubling down. Um, I think he, his original investment was 50,000. Um, I think the most recent, at least at the bottom of that thread, and I encourage you to go read it, uh, they said he got his position went up to like 48, 47 yep. million. Yep. Um, so this is where the narrative changed, right? So, you know, this guy, every month he's updating uh, on subreddit, people are starting to follow. Uh, there was, I think around back in April, the, the stock market, uh, GameStop started to go up. And remember April was right after March where there was yep. a huge collapse. 
Yes, so, yes, Johnny. April is right after March. Yes. <laughs> if you fall in March, you rise in April. There you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's so, terrible financial advice. <laughs> no, that's, I'm gonna enter Like I right said, there. like I said, this is we are not a financial advice podcast. We're just. Uh-huh observing what's happened. All right, so uh-huh. getting to the meat of it, what's happened is that people start, we're obviously, you know, lots of activity on Reddit, lots of people sitting at home, lots of people getting some money from the government. These are all the different factors that are playing out. We've seen tremendous uh, increase in the, the number of users on Robinhood, which we'll talk about shortly, uh, right? So there's all these people who are getting into investing, right? Uh, most of them, you know, if you will, from their parents' basement, as some of them like to be said. So around the end of 2020, this is where the narrative changed from about GameStop fundamentals to more about who these short sellers were, right? There was, uh, you know, such, such talk as eat the rich, um, basically people just, and then this became a movement and that's where, you know, GameStop just, just, just went to the stratosphere. So basically it was a, it's a game of chicken between hedge funds, these quote unquote evil corporations versus retail investors of Reddit uh, who have taken on the persona of representing the common, uh, the common man and woman, right. the the proletariat, if you will, Main Street versus Wall Street, right? And they're they want to see who blinks. Yes, they're basically and, uh, fight. They're basically fighting each other to see who blinks. And the end result of this is what? Uh, GameStop's stock right now is three hundred dollars. It was thirty. It was nine at some point. Uh, <laughs> Four yeah, over the past point. few over the past year. Yeah, if, if, you, if you see that plot of their uh, of their stock, it's, it's crazy. But so so to just to wrap up the to, I mean, yep. just to wrap up the story before we get into our, I think our thoughts is because the other most important aspect of this, and I mentioned Robinhood earlier, is that, you know, uh, Discord banned the I mean, there was also some moderation issues and then they're back. But Discord banned the Wall Street Bets uh, server, um, the um, Robinhood fro- started freezing because this went from GameStop to then other stuff. And then like AMC, AMC as well. And then to a, there's another one that just slips my mind. Actually, even, even the, the uh, I guess the company that owns the property of Simon? the GameStop stores. Oh, okay. It's also seen uh, its value rise because I mm-hmm. some folks were able to make money from that as well. So, but now the bans came in, right? And basically, uh, the, it's, it's Robinhood has banned it. There's actually even talk that Robinhood actually sold certain people's positions, even hmm. though they, they didn't intend to. So there's Robinhood is banned. Weibo is so, banned. Cash App is now banned as well. Right. Exactly. So um, so then, of course, now this has turned into wait a minute. But the thing was, even though they, they banned the retail investors from investing in these stocks, the hedge funds could continue to invest in these stocks. So it wasn't a good look. And it's, I think, further upset a, a lot of people, understandably yep. so. But yeah, that's the story. We've like know, I said, we fundamentals should, we should, to craziness to a movement. Yes. To now like I said, we should cover Robinhood while they still exist. Uh, yeah, I think I think somebody. Uh, if you just give me a moment, I, I, I had to take a screenshot of this. Uh, somebody wrote this that it took uh, um, seven years for them to build uh, uh, sentiment, and they destroyed it in seven minutes. Like we got to cover it while they, it's still hot. Yeah, like, no, I mean, uh, forget that. Like I said, well, we got to cover Robin Hood while it still exists. <laughs> so maybe your prediction was correct because the CC wasn't going to go after the big guys. Is it going to go after Robin Hood? No, I think they're doing a good job of, uh, what's it called, going after themselves. 
So why why go? Yeah. Why What's go the Jay Z line? I was gonna do it to them, but they did it to themselves. I was gonna do it with the bars, but they did it with the sales. <laughs> there we go. All right, all right. So Michael, what is our topic of today? It seems, Johnny, that our year of fintech for this year is actually very, very well timed. Because we've been on this, uh, we've been on this fintech journey now since the beginning of the year. Now, with today's main topic, we continue our fintech journey, and the company that we're talking about today is Square. So, Johnny, like the shape. Yes, uh, yes, exactly like the shape. And we'll talk about why it's called Square too. But of course, with Square, and specifically, we're going to talk about Square and Cash App, another app at the center of the Wall Street bets. Uh, GameStop situation. We'll talk about the important people behind Square. We'll talk about a bit of its history of both its products and Cash App as a product. We'll talk about keys to success. And then we'll talk about future aspects or future predictions rather for these companies. And finally, we will make a judgment of rich tech or poor tech for Square and Cash App. All right, John, let's talk about the company history of Square and important people. All right. So founders, <laughs> this is interesting. Officially, when you Google it, you see only two founders on the I see. You know, okay. Google's cards. So, and of course they are Jack Dorsey, who is, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on him. There's lots we can cover in another episode, mm-hmm. but he's famous for having co-founded Twitter. I was going to say that guy, he, he hasn't done anything else to know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Square is his ticket to fame. Um, yeah. He he left Twitter CEO. Well, really, he was pushed out. That's a fascinating story. Hatching Twitter, uh, he was pushed out. He left the role in October 2008, and then you know 2009 he linked up with his uh, former boss uh, James McKelvey, Jim McKelvey, and they're both from St. Louis, Missouri. So uh, that's how we get into uh, the genesis of. Square. But before that, moving on to Jim, he was born and raised in St. Louis. Uh, around 2000, he founded a third degree glass factory with Doug Orr. Uh, this is a glass art education center and studio. So he was very much into glass. Is it called uh, glass blowing? Um, and so he was running this business and he lost out on a $2,000 sale because the buyer did not have that amount of cash on him. And McKelvey was not in a position to take credit cards because, you know, we, before Square, uh, you either paid in cash. This is, again, small merchant, right? Like, this is not at the store and all that, right? Uh, there was a lot of cash-based business that was, that was happening, obviously. So around that time, you know, he reached out to Jack Dorsey, who was a former employee of his. I don't know where in Jack Dorsey's uh, history I've ever read he worked for this guy, but apparently uh, he did. And, uh, you know, they, they were friends. Um, all right, so, they, I, so you know, James had the, the initial idea. He saw the problem, he needed to solve it. Jack Dorsey, you know, he, had, he was flashed with cash, with Twitter. He's been a programmer for a long time. So he had obviously the skills and the money to, to invest. So they both got interested. What I found out, and that's been, uh, just, just pausing here, this has been the story of Square that I've known. So there was actually two other people uh, and Michael, you made me aware of the, of the, the fourth person. So the other person that's relevant here is Professor Robert Morley. He's an electrical and systems engineer, engineering professor at, ironically, the McKelvey School of Engineering, the Washington University in St. Louis. Um, so he 
uh, is actually, well, he actually has patents uh, to, the, to the design of the hardware by Square. He has 18 patents related to hearing aids, anti-fraud, magnetic media authentication, mobile magnetic stripe card readers intent, including the first Square reader, right? So he was patents to that. So uh, I'm gonna make this story uh, sweet and short. Uh, apparently they either got him in, got involved with him, he helped build out the original one, but then apparently Jack and uh, Jim went and created a separate entity and left him out of it. And that's where they created Square, but then took that idea and ran with it. And so later in May, 2016, they there was a $50 million lawsuit that they settled after a five-year dispute where you know Square mentioned their earnings that, hey, we have to pay this guy $50 million. Um, so that's the story. Um, and then the, the, of the third co-founder, which I didn't know about, or third person who was involved in the early days of, of Square, whichever way you want to take it. And then finally, we had Tristan O. Tierney. Uh, he was responsible for building the initial mobile app, right? Because uh, again, Square was intended to be used on predominantly your mobile phone. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 35 on February 2019 after a years long struggle with addiction. He left Square in 2013 after four years of working there. He did say that he was set for life and he used, you know, his, his uh, I guess, if you will, the, the financial freedom that he received. And, uh, uh, you know, he had a passion for photography and art, so he'd be sharing that on his, uh, on his Instagram. Um, so we had the guy of the product idea and the money uh, in terms of Jack. We had the professor of the patents and the experience in Professor Robert Morley. We had the software developer in Tristan and we had kind of the, the marketing talking guy, if you will, with James. And now let's, yes, and now we can jump into talking about Cash App and a bit of its history uh, as well. So the so Cash App, as Johnny said, was created in 2013. There's one more additional name to add to the, the list of names for Cash App, uh, which is the head of Cash App today is Brian Grassadania. And he was actually the first product manager that Square ever hired back in 2010, 2011. So a little bit about him. Whereas you might see Jack or you might see James talk a lot in different interviews or conferences, you actually never hear from Brian. Uh, despite the fact that during his time at Square, he's been the head of growth for Square, he's been the head of product for Square. Now, of course, he's the VP and overseer, if you will, of Cash App. He was the first but, product manager of Square, yes, right? Yes, exactly, yes. As I said, he's the first product manager of Square. You almost never hear from him, which a product manager that doesn't go out and talk a lot, that's a rarity. So. The only thing I could really find of note about him outside of just his basic work career at LinkedIn was an interesting story that back in 2013, his uh, then 75-year-old grandmother joined Square as a product quote-unquote advisor because Brian was so busy at work and that he would miss calling his grandmother. So his grandmother made a Twitter account <laughs> and tagged him and said, Brian, call your grandmother. Jack Dorsey saw this. Uh, and then after, and then it's, it became a thing for a while where if he didn't call her, she would post about it on the Twitter. And then all the employees of Square would take pictures of him and send it uh, to his grandmother to say, oh, he's doing fine. Here he is. And then they would tell him in meetings, call your grandmother. So that's uh, what I was about to say. So I thought that was a, that was a really fun, uh, endearing story. Now that we've talked about the important people behind these two companies, 
What are some of the significant events that happened in Square's history before we start talking about the suite of products that Square has provided over the years? Wow, wow. Um, yeah, uh, Square has had its hands in a bunch of different uh, buckets, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, candy, candy bars. Candy jars. Um, all right. So cookie jars. Cookie jars. Yes, cookie for. jars. All the goodies. All the goodies. All right. So uh, as we mentioned, you know, first product Square Reader was launched May 2010. Uh, 2013 launched Cash App, and we'll dive more into that uh, after this. But in the 2014, it acquired Caviar, a startup that delivers meals from high-end restaurants to replace Square Orders, which it later sold to DoorDash in 2019. Right? Like I said, it's had its hands on a few different things. 2018, it acquired Weebly, a website building service for 365 million dollars. Uh, my guess is probably to make it easier for you know, the businesses that uh, use it to, to build their websites. Uh, 2020, it's had more recent, uh, quite some activity as well. It's acquired, acquired Dessa, a Toronto-based deep learning company in May. So out of its uh, you know, careers page, it, it has positions in Toronto, as well as remote, of course. And it also acquired the Credit Karma Tax, a free do-it-yourself tax filing service in November. This is all 20, in 2020. Um, We'll get into credit card by another day, but essentially they were, uh, how do you evaluate your, your, how do you know your credit worthiness, right? And then they added a tax component, which I guess they sold to, to Square. But yes. All right then. So I was about to say, so Square is, I would say this, let's talk about the products now of Square, because I think when people think Square, they still think that little Square reader that attaches itself into the headphone jack of, of iPhones and Android phones eventually as well. And what that effectively was, was a credit card reader uh, that allowed people to allow people to use credit cards without having to have an ATM or more extensive non-portable credit card, uh, what's called credit card reading service. If you remember going to a store, even to today and going to a counter, let's say you usually see this in like gas stations or 7-Elevens or other marts, there's an ATM attached to this little a uh, rectangular reader with the number pad on it that accepts debit cards and credit cards. And you'll note sometimes on there, that's like, oh, we only accept Visa or we only accept Visa MasterCard or we only accept Visa MasterCard and Discover and so on and so forth. And the thing with that old card reader service, the legacy service that's always existed is a few problems. Uh, one is that it's incredibly hard to update that software. So when you accept only one type of credit card, you're kind of stuck accepting that one type of credit card. And if I don't have that, in Johnny's case with Discover, uh, then he just can't pay for things in that particular store. Yes, John, I, you're about to say something. Yes. I don't talk much about this, but I work for a startup that actually uh, was working in this space. Mm -hmm. And all I can say is a lot of the existing tools, service providers are just so archaic. So one yes. of the things I wanted to add to yours is it's actually very analog, right? Yep. Um, but yes, continue. And because it has to interface with a literal ATM. Like if you if imagine ATM technology, it hasn't improved that much since the, uh, what was it called? Since the 80s, 90s. It's still that thing with the tray that comes out because people still pay with real money. Right. It has, it still needs to, it still needs to work with that. So there are still, if you see this sometimes, right, you'll see that you need to swipe a card and then the tray of the ATM opens randomly because it's just pre-programmed to do that every single time a transaction happens. 
and then the person needs to close the tray of the ATM. That is how we're talking about fintech space. A common theme in all of fintech is just new technology meeting with highly antiquated old technology all at the same time. We see this with COBOL being around everywhere as well. But so what the Square Reader does is just like any other credit card reader, it made a it took a piece of the transaction costs on top of the credit card transaction and charged that to the bank and charged that to the the bank charges that. Uh, to the small business is usually around, I believe 2.7% was originally what Square's transaction cost was. And, and the reason why people don't accept Amex is but I believe Amex's transaction cost is actually three or three plus percent. So it's more expensive for the store itself. So that is how it made its money. It did basically the realization that James and Jack made was, hey, for the most part, whether it be networking or microprocessor or all of these uh, technologies that are needed for a card reader, they also exist in this iPhone. The only thing that did not exist was this magnetic strip, this card reader ability. They also have a services division. So Square is incredibly interesting from a service standpoint in terms of they have been for years and years and years a loan service that went along. Uh, with their with their square cat uh, with their square service and specifically what you would consider from a bank standpoint a micro loan so a couple hundred bucks a couple thousand bucks uh things that banks don't even touch or don't even bother with so what they said was they learned from talking to their users that these small businesses one of their large problems their large challenges was just getting any capital access to capital and what they effectively had to do before ask friends, ask parents, have that really awkward conversation, add siblings. It's like, okay, I need you know, 100 bucks, I need 500 bucks because we had an unexpected expense today. So what Square did was they said, hey, uh, we have an understanding of your credit worthiness and your ability to pay back this loan that no bank has. We have literally every single one of your transactions. So because of that, we know what your cash flow looks like. We know whether or not you're gonna be good for this money. And what Square actually did was they gave these small loans, partnering with all of their banks, of course. And they then would take a little bit of every day's, every transaction to pay back that loan over time. So it was an automatic loan payback system. Of course, you could pay it off all in one go as well. But, and of course, Square would make a little bit of interest off of that. And Square would also sell those loans to other banks and charge a servicing fee or a collection fee for those loans. And that's also how they would make those money off of loans. But this, as we were saying as well, I believe with Ant Financial, we're saying, hey, Jack Ma, he doesn't, he doesn't like the idea of FICO scores, of all of these other bankers and tellers. And he says algorithms and data, the same thing we saw with Nubank, your credit worthiness and the lack of a FICO score is the information that's on your phone. Square was doing this in 2008, showing that it's like, oh, hey, we have all this rich information in our ecosystem. Let's use it to enable new use cases, new access to finance that no one ever had before. So yeah, so that's a, that's another one of their, of their main products and services. And in fact, the loan side of Square actually for the period of time of 2018 and beyond was the fastest growing uh, aspect of their, of their main company. Finally, they also have Cash App, uh, which was launched back in 2013 as Square Cash. And at that time, so this was the Square Cash experience. At the time when they launched Square Cash, I could send you, Johnny, an email 
and I'd CC, I believe it was squared cash at sq.com or something like that with a dollar amount. And I would get an email back, a confirmation email back to me to set to link my debit card to the system. You would get an email that said, okay, link your debit card to the system. And it would be a debit to debit transaction. And that was the Square app product. That was the Square Cash product. The iOS version of the phone seven years ago was literally just an email formatter. Um, it did, it would send the email for you, but it was literally just an email formatter seven years ago. So starting from that, uh, Square, uh, sorry, Cash App has evolved into a multi-prong service that's both, uh, that's, that's a combination of peer-to-peer -peer payments. So like imagine a Venmo, imagine what we we're mentioning with Alipay and WeChat Pay, but basically for the ability for me to, me to pay you without a bank account, without a credit card or without a debit card. And they also now provide a bunch of other services. So for example, uh, they provide in 2018, they started to sell Bitcoin on their service. And now you can actually purchase uh, a lot of Bitcoins and how they make money off of that is just a small fee. So interestingly enough, uh, I believe, what was it? In Q3 of 2019 or 2008, I believe it's Q3 of 2019, Cash App made as its own entity, made somewhere around a billion dollars because it accounts for, uh, it accounts for a quarter now of all of Square's revenues. And of that billion that Cash App made, about 600 million of it alone was Bitcoin transaction uh, fees. Yes, John. Yeah, just something to add. Uh, we'll touch more about this, but um, the you know the C their CFO Anrita Huya Ahuja, she said uh, this is again late 2019. She said that for Cash App, um, you know, which helps people manage and invest their money, which again we'll touch on more. Uh, three years, right? They went from no revenue to six over 600 million dollars in annual recurring revenue. So it's, it's been a tremendous growth uh, story for them, uh, Cash App. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And for, as, as Johnny was saying as well, they don't just allow you to purchase Bitcoin. You can buy and trade factional shares or full shares of stocks on Cash App as well. It's an incredibly beautiful, simple, seamless UI there. I would, I would describe it as this. Uh, I think the way I would describe Cash App is this. It is... The post Robinhood, post Alipay, Alipay. What I mean by that is it has all of the financial services that Alipay provides, just about, still growing, right? Uh, which we'll get to that. It has peer-to-peer -peer payments. It has stock investing. It has uh, Bitcoin investing. Another product it has is it'll actually give you a physical debit card uh, that will allow you to use at any physical store. And that will actually also uh, give you different reward points. So for example, you can get cash off by using that debit card on Lyft. You can get cash off by adding that to different coffee chains. So it, it uh, what's it called? It will give you that product, uh, what's it called? It gives you that physical debit product as well. All right, Johnny. So that is the products. That's a little bit snippet of the future. I got a big question for you, Johnny. What makes, what are the keys to success? of Square and of Cash App, what has made this so successful over time? That was something I was, I was thinking about 
Um, I think first, the first thing is their start, right? They, you know, they genuinely, I don't think there was a competing product when Square, the Square Reader was released, right? At least not one I could, I could no, find. There's nothing. There was, there's yeah, nothing I mean, there was other, that. obviously there was other payments companies in that space. There was actually one of the rivals, Verifone criticized the security of their Square Reader and all of that, but there was nobody else that was doing exactly that, right? And again, it's that Apple-esque, hey, we're gonna build a hardware, right? Because I think even at their time, they were they were rare. Not everybody was doing hardware and software in such a um, in such an elegant way, right? Right. Would it be accurate to say for the Square product in itself that it never stopped finding more avenues of value to add to its users? Absolutely. Because it starts with point of sale. Then it's okay. You're not on the street side saying, let's let's take this. Let's take an imaginary small business, right? Sure. Starting from you're selling it on a street side stand at a farmer's market. It's like, okay, we have the square, we have the, we have the square dongle for you. Now you're using that. Now you can accept credit cards. Evolve that to a storefront. Okay. Now we have this iPad thing. that's a little more official looking. People don't want to just swipe on a credit card anymore when they come into your little store. So why not have this official thing? Okay, great. Now it evolves into, okay, well, as a small business, we listen to our users and the problem they're saying is, okay, these small loans, we're not asking for a hundred thousand. We're not asking for a million, asking for a couple hundred sometimes. Banks, banks don't do that. They just simply don't. Uh, right. Banks do not so waste involved. their time, quote unquote, right. uh, using the, what's it called? Banks do not quote unquote waste their time on such small amounts of money. So it's like, okay, that's another unmet need. Now we're going into, uh, what's it called? Going to loans uh, with you as well. So I would say that on the, the side of the Square side of the products, listening to their users and just there's so many problems in the small business space that were literally, as you said, unsolved, untouched by anyone else that they just came in and kept offering more services, kept offering more value every single time, which I think the other competitors in the space just simply haven't done. No. And if, if everything's integrated together, that's a strong selling point versus, you know, my POS system is one thing, my, you know, whatever my uh, dashboard, uh, the guy that tells me what, how my sales are is my sell sheet, right? Like this is a much more compelling story that through one interface, you're able to get all your, you're able to run your business more efficiently and, and bring all that together under one roof. Um, mm -hmm. so, so without actually explicitly saying it, it's like they took uh, OnePlus's motto, never settle. And really, really drove it home is their strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so that's that's Square. Cash I would app. also add, yeah, I also add now why, why Cash App has been so successful because Venmo came first. Before that, PayPal came first. Uh, before that, uh, you know, there's there's all these other products. Why is Cash App now so successful all of a sudden? Why is it generating so much money for Square as a parent company? So the way I describe Cash App and its success, like I said, it is... It is fintech's response, or it's fintech's evolution post Robinhood, which showed people, hey, that people are interested in finances, that people are interested in fintech spaces. If you give them a beautiful, smooth, easy to use, simple UI, and okay, and then post 
the uh, what's it called post the Alipay world of showing, hey, it can be all in one. You can be you don't just need to be the peer to peer payment system like Venmo is. Uh, you can also be the finance system, the loan system, the stock investing system, all of this system. We see now PayPal allowing people to buy Bitcoin as well, taking a page from, uh, from Robinhood and taking a page from Cash App. Yeah. So it's really what I feel is that it, it is the most, I, I would say Cash App is the, if not the best, at the very least, the most representative of a modern peer-to-peer payment system yeah. that has clearly learned from all of these other systems in the past. And if we look at Jack Dorsey as a person, this is the man who wants to move to Africa and live there. This is the man who he has clearly a pulse on what's going on in the world. And you can see it in the product line. And, and now Brian too, he must, he must be, uh, be providing a lot of this insight uh, as well. They see what other people are doing. They take the good from that and they keep improving. So as a product, I think that's one of the things that made Cash App successful. Another thing I was mentioning to you, I was mentioning that, hey, I'm seeing parents talk about Cash App. I'm like, I, that's, that's really where I first started hearing about. I'm seeing parents talk about it a lot. I'm like, hey, wait, 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 why is that? Because you don't need a bank account to get a physical Cash App card and you don't need a bank account to have a balance within Cash App. So because of that, uh, what was I about to say? Because of that, People are uh, parents are actually able to start giving their children access to to finances to pay everything from like fees to go on field trips in school, all the way up to like buying books and buying the things they need uh, for for throughout their throughout their early lives before they become uh, financially independent. So I so saw that was a I think that is another big thing that's made Cash App quite successful. That utility. Uh, that's being used in the physical card that's given to people that's accepted at stores. I think there's finally one more thing, which is I think the marketing of Cash App and just relatability to people. Because as we mentioned before, it's like, hey, Venmo has been around for longer. Why aren't people using Venmo for all these different types of things? Why isn't Venmo the number one most established uh, peer-to-peer payment system in the country? Cash App is actually marketed itself and partnered with a bunch of the hottest uh, acts in hip hop on R&B and rap today. So for example, Travis Scott, uh, he had a 100K giveaway to his fans uh, via Cash App. You know, not 100K all at once to one person, but he had a giveaway. Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion also gave away $1 million for women, uh, for different, uh, for specifically for women across the Cash App as well. The product looks better, it has these more services. It's more accessible. It's, uh, what's it called? It is, uh, what's the word? It's, it's just more relevant, more cool. Uh, it, it more broadly appeals to a much broader market than your standard tech product. Uh, Never settle hey. and be cool. Sounds like it summarizes Square's strategy. Oh, there we go. There you go. I like that. That's it. All right, then, Johnny. So we've been talking about uh, its successes. We've been talking about it as a company. Uh, now, Johnny, let's talk about whether it's rich tech or poor tech. So we will look at Square over its employees, its customers, its industry, and its overall contribution to society as a wealth generating product and make a determination of whether or not Square and Kasha are a rich tech or poor tech company.
All right, Johnny, let's start with the first pillar, industry. So what industry has Square replaced, supplemented, uh, and or, uh, what's it called, and or built on, top, um, built on top of? Has replaced money. Has not replaced money uh, because it's still, it's, it's uh, what's it called, it's financial exchange, right? First it was a card reader. Bank? Now it's gonna become a bank, but since it's not yet a bank, oh boy, is this about to enter the same range that Alipay did? So the U.S. the U.S. Central Bank is going to take over Square. That's our prediction. So there is no U.S. Central Bank. So what? Uh, yes, there is the Federal Reserve. Oh, that okay. I thought you meant the actual U. Okay, never mind. There's, there, when you say U.S. Central Bank, there's a lot of history of why United States does not have a central bank. Yeah, but, isn't that what the Federal Reserve serves as? No, not really. They're they're very different things. Moving on, moving on. So sure. Um, yeah, they, so let's, let's look at the products. Uh, they were the they were the credit card acceptor, the credit card reader. On Cash App, they're a peer-to-peer payment system, an investment system. They facilitate payments. Yeah, I would say on that side of things, all of those from brokers to credit card readers, and with, of course with debit cards and all of that, financial services, brokerages and all of that, financial services, so yeah, I would say that is definitely uh, what's it called. That is definitely all rich tech. Absolutely. All right. Now employees, Johnny. Uh, you do realize so Square does require manufacturing. Yes. The rest of it, sure, is software, engineering, uh, business, well, finance, legal. But would you but say there is a manufacturing mark? But I would not say it's similar to new bank because manufacturing is not call centers. Those are different things. No, no, no. I wasn't going to compare it to a new bank. I was going to compare it to, to Apple. Apple has manufacturing, but they don't directly manufacture, right? They have a partner. They, so Apple designs their product and then a partner manufactures it. So is this is Square that case or is this Square actually? Because with 4,000 people. If Square cool. didn't exist, they, then if you want to put it that way, Johnny, I can outsource, uh, what's it called? I, if, you, if you outsource a hitman, you're not you're not responsible for the death. It's uh, if, if Square did not exist, the manufacturing would not be manufacturing this. So that is manual labor. Okay. okay. Sure. And yeah, I mean, but basically they're not directly, service, but they're not directly employees. Is the point I was trying to raise, right? Sure, but for it's but the employees slash labor, right? Because because if you want to make that argument, Uber is the richest tech company there is, Johnny. They just made it very. They just made it incredibly clear that their drivers are not employees. They lobbied a whole bunch of money to make sure that was the case. Yes, they did. They did. Right. So um, I would say that it definitely does depend on manual labor because Square Reader and the point of sale service are both require some level of manufacturing, and without those two products, you don't have as effective of a loan product. Yeah, absolutely. So they have the combination of both a manufacturer, right, mm-hmm. as well as a, um, you know, software web development services mm-hmm. team, right? Now, so- I will say this, which is because Cash App only, a, only is accounting for a quarter of the revenue, we can point to the other side of the loans and of all that and the transaction fees. That all depends on manufacturing. You can argue Cash App does not depend on manufacturing, unless you count the physical card, but that, you know, that, that gets really extreme. Because no. still three quarters of their revenue depends on manufacturing Science. and physical labor, I'd say that from an employee labor standpoint, this is poor tech. 
That yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and well, we and we have seen. I mean, the last part of employees is that upward mobility. So we yeah. obviously seen that, right? We definitely seen it. In, yes. Yep. Right? And now he's uh, part of the executive team. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And a few. Other We've definitely seen it. But overall, because of where their money comes from, they are and how that and how that labor is used, it's poor tech. And it's certainly not as hard to manufacture these products as it is some more complex Apple phones, but sure, it doesn't take as long. It doesn't take as many people, but still it's poor tech. All right. Customer, Johnny. As a customer, are you able to gain wealth from it? I think this is obvious. The yes. users of Square are specifically there to gain wealth yes. from it. Yes, absolutely. The, the small businesses that use Square, you know, they get set up with their business. They're able to run their business able to grow their business, which is Square's pitch. So absolutely, you're able to build uh, wealth from it. And for Cash App, of course, it's again, that peer-to-peer payment system. It's your stocks. It's your, if, if you have oh, yes, Bitcoin, yes. right? right? That, that's uh, that system. So yeah, investments. Uh, so yeah, certainly they can make so money both their product it. lines. Both, through yep. both of their product lines, you can gain wealth from it, both on their consumer side, buyer side, as they call it, and the seller yep. side, so. yep. Absolutely. And finally, Johnny. Uh, so yes. So for customers and can you gain wealth from it? Rich tech. Okay. So finally, contribution society. Is Square a net wealth contributor to society? I would say yes. Well, let um, me ask this question. Do you believe that? Let's, let's think about it this way. Do we believe that these Square business users would not have existed otherwise. Mm, that's tough. I mean, let's put it this way. Maybe it would have existed, but could they have successfully grown their business to the extent that they have? It's allowed some small businesses that perhaps would not have made it to see I tomorrow mean, to do so. So it's essentially lowered the barrier for small businesses to get to, to getting started. Yes. Then then it's a yes. It is a it's a, it is a wealth generator for society. Yep. Yep. For sure. All right then. So let's look at our final tally. So for industry, we have rich tech. For employees and labor, we have poor tech. For share for customers, sorry. We have rich tech and for contribution to society, we have rich tech. So Johnny, what is the final verdict for Square? Uh, reasonably wealthy, reasonably wealthy. Okay. Reasonably wealthy. All right, so yes, the Square, Square is definitely a rich tech company. It's reasonably wealthy. I would also frame it this way. Just as we said with Newbank, Square, I believe it's on its way to become even more rich tech as a financial institution. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So with that, that's a, another episode of the Silicon Trail. Have a wonderful week and stay safe out there.